Folks, this is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson here. I saw something on the message boards for the VIP subscribers. Walton was asking for volunteers to come onto the podcast and, I don't know, ambush me. I, I don't know what's about to happen. Just, I am prepared. I've talked, I've re received legal counsel and would like to issue the following statement. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not do whatever you're accusing me of having done. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. These allegations are false. And I need to go back to work. For all track and field fans across the globe. Thank you. That's my statement. I don't have much else to say. I will confess, I know it is a special day. It's Jonathan Galt's birthday. I did. I may or may not have been contacted by a few female podcast listeners. I did give out Jonathan's address. They wanted to surprise him. I don't know what they did. I did not tell them to do anything inappropriate. But other than that, I have, I'm, I'm guiltless. So, John, I think I, I just go now, right? Yeah. Okay. Robert, just wait till John's done with his intro. We have a couple of things. We'll just... Then we'll get reaction, okay? Yes, that is our new theme music for the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Welcome to the episode this week. And we've got plenty to talk about. Jeffrey Camora is back in a big way, but he won't be running the R.A.K. Hoff Marathon. That race has been canceled. Bryce Hopple runs 144 at the American Track League, number two all-time in the U.S. The Big Ten Cross Country Championships are in the books. Congratulations to the, the Wisconsin men and the Michigan State women. We've got a new world lead in the women's marathon from Japan. A 403 miler has taken down the hedge funds on Wall Street, and the Oregon men destroy the NCAA record in the distance medley. How does this year's squad stack up in Oregon history? We'll get to that. BYU men take down the number one NAU men in cross country in Las Vegas, and we'll talk a little bit Tokyo Olympics. Who are the favorites for gold in the 800 through the marathon? Plenty to talk about, but Robert, we need your talk. thoughts. New theme music. Are you a fan? Am I a fan? I mean, we're also trying out a new podcasting service, so it's a little bit hard to hear it, but yeah, I, I, I want to go more professional. I actually thought about hiring a voiceover analyst, so when we do Rojo's rant, we can do that. We can Anything that makes me look better, I'm all for. Robert, you spoke too soon. It's a theme song for Rojo's Rant. And real quickly, we are joined by podcast listener Andrew Johnson. Turns out, I, I did not know Andrew, a Yale cross-country runner, former Yale cross-country runner. Now he's a big music score score producer. Andrew's here right now. We're going to talk to him five minutes later. But Andrew, I, 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 like you just emailed me a couple weeks ago. This is great. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I I'm thrilled. This is the honor of my life. <laughs> I mean, you've done some big time stuff, right? Like I was scrolling through your stuff. I don't know what your highlight is, but I saw real time with Bill Maher. My wife loves that show. And I'm like, 
I'm sure you've done tons of movies and commercials and other stuff, but congrats. Yeah, all sorts of various TV TV shows and movies that I never get to watch myself, which is why I was thinking, well, if there's a podcast that I listen to every single week um, and it needs music, I should offer my services. And, and I guess in the composing world, we call that doing free work, but I like to consider it pro bono. Um, so it's for, for, for a cause. Yeah, Robert, the price was right. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I saw a, a guy pop up onto the, we, we, you know, podcast listeners know that we can see each other. I saw someone pop up into the screen. I knew I was going to be blindsolded, decided. I saw Andrew Johnson. I was a little bit worried that we were going to, my father had fathered a child out of wedlock like 35, 40 years ago. I was trying to figure out if you were maybe a half-brother or something. You do look Hollywood, though, so this, this is good. It must be professional work. If you went to Yale, Yale cross country, that's, that's kind of like the definition of mediocrity. Hopefully you're better. You know, hopefully you're like Weldon. You were so focused on your you know, academic pursuits and your musical pursuits that you're actually excellent at that versus probably being mediocre at running. And it's a good way of putting it. I mean, I think the, the theme music sounds great, and I think the big question our, our listeners need to decide is, do we go with the, this is an internal debate we've been having. Do we go with the intro we had at the start, which is about 15 seconds? Do we have, go with the about two minute clip? It can be, you know, pretty much any length that we play under our actual introduction, or do we go with both of them? And I think that's something we're trying to figure out. So let us know, you know, reach out to the podcast and let us know which you like, but I think they both sound pretty great. Yeah, for sure. Email us podcast at let's run.com. We're going to have, I'm pretty sure, the short jingle every time, but do you guys really like the long one? I love it. It gets me sort of pumped up, and we can have different links and that sort of thing. But, Andrew, this is tremendous. And we're going to talk to Andrew later on in the podcast, five or ten minutes, about his running, how he got it, why he offered to do this, a little more with Andrew coming up. But before we get to this week's action, we got two big sponsorship news. Actually, one's only big. One's big for me. The other was big for everybody else. But look what I got in my hand, guys, right here. It's my drink, L-M-N-T, packet. This is the best way to get your electrolytes. All the electrolytes without the junk. No sugar, no gluten, no dodgy ingredients. It's even vegan-friendly, paleo-keto-friendly. This stuff is excellent. I love it. I'm actually drinking orange salt right now. That's my flavor of today. Still think my favorite is lemon habanero. But they have a special offer for Let's Run listeners you can get a sample pack. This isn't some cheap offer. This is an eight-packet sample pack for free. All you pay is shipping, five bucks. It'll be there before you know it. Everybody go sign up. But the big news for me is if you go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run, that's where you get this offer. Who is featured prominently on the website but yours truly? Everyone, please go support this. Rojo, they had some group photos. Rojo got left out. You need to support this. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. My photo is on there. I mean, like... This is the Lance Armstrong treatment that I got. I love this product. It's the best way to get your electrolytes. Go there now. Other big news. Let's Run.com Supporters Club. We've had another star of the sport sign up. World Marathon Majors champion. American hero. Des Linden has signed up for an annual subscription to the Supporters Club. It's, a, it's like the rules. You don't know what the rules are. How good are you? And we refund the money. I'm keeping Dez's money. And I've told her, John, since she was a tipper of the podcast before, 100% of the funds will go to Jonathan Galt. And I'm extending that offer to everyone who signs up this week. 
100% of the money will go to Jonathan Galt, including credit card fees. You'll get a free shirt. So essentially, we'll be paying the cost of the shirt. You can still get the special New Year's pricing, 75 bucks for the year. If you sign up for this week, 100% of the annual subscription will go to Jonathan Galt. In our talk with Andrew Johnson later, he said, are we paying John enough? Let's Run Nation, this is your opportunity to reward Jonathan Galt for his great work. Wow, well done. That's quite a pitch. Yes, yeah, 75 bucks. I mean, think of it this way. It's it's six bucks a month. If you like this podcast, if you like getting early access to features, if you get exclusive content on the message boards, six bucks a month, I think that's a pretty good price to pay for it. You guys aren't very good at math. I'm the former high school math teacher. It's basically $50, plus you get the t-shirt, which is worth 30 So it's like $1 a week. So don't be a cheap B-A-S-T-A-R-D. Sign up now. Support John. I'm a little bit – I mean, John, if, if 50 people sign up, that could be over $2,000, right? I mean, more, 3000 a lot. My math's not good, despite being the high, high school math teacher. Sign up now. Pocket support Jonathan Galt in independent journalism. But, guys, let's talk about the action. Well, wait, 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 wait. We do have a lot of action to discuss, but I want to go to the very start of the podcast. First of all, thank you, Robert, for the birthday wishes. Second – Robert just plays this defense, the Bill Clinton clip, and he don't, we don't know what he's defending himself from, but clearly Robert thought he was going to get caught doing something. I mean, Robert, did you think you were going to get arrested? Did you think someone had evidence that you were cheating on your wife with the Let's Run intern? Like, what is what was going on here? Well, to be honest, I, I didn't know what was going on. For, for those of you who don't know why I played a preemptive defense, I, on the VIP subscribers forum... There was a message board post started five days ago saying, looking for two Track Talk podcast listeners who can keep a secret from Rojo to help us out with something. And that just made me a little bit nervous. And my wife is a lawyer. She says, always lawyer up. So I just thought issuing a formal statement would be good. Now, I did honestly think, I'm like, wow, thank God I've never done anything bad. Like I've never even contemplated cheating on my wife or something like that. Imagine if you're like this, one of these New York Mets executives. I mean, something like this comes up. You're like, oh my God, what have I done? So I know, you know, at least in the last eight years of my life, I've been a good boy and nothing that I was really worried about, but I just was a little unsure what was going to be happening. So, well, I feel like the person, if you truly were confident that you had nothing to hide, you wouldn't need to issue preemptive defense like that. John, but also part of this, you guys don't understand part of the show is entertainment. John, I was going to mock the left, whatever I was accused of, I was going to use Bill Clinton to preemptively you know, get me out of jail card because we all know that a president would never lie. Okay. I thought we were done talking politics on this for a while. The election's over. So before we get to the action, Keith Gill, if you're out there, AKA deep fucking value on Reddit, email us, man, podcast at let's run. There's a decent chance. This guy's a podcast listener. We'll have you on. Keep rocking it, man. Maybe we should start there folks. If you guys don't follow the stock market, what what has happened last week was a bunch of people on Reddit, including Keith Gill, who's the ringleader of them all. He's a former 403 miler in college at Stonehill, Division Three All-American in cross-country indoor and outdoor track, former Dystat legend. He was posting a lot on the Dystat message boards back when he was in high school. He's led these people, and they have gone after the people that were shorting the GameStop stock. It went up like several hundred percent. He has millions of dollars of profit. The hedge funds lost billions of dollars in the process. Crazy wild ride. But, you know, I was telling my wife the story, John, 
about what happened. I said, hey, you've been following this GameStop stuff. There's this guy and he's got a young child and he gets in his basement late at night and he puts on a headband and he leads these people out on YouTube and Reddit and they've taken down the hedge funds. And my wife said to me, wow, honey, that sounds just like you, except you don't wear the headband and you don't have $14 million. So I took that as a compliment. My wife views me as playing in the basement late at night not to wake up my son when I'm working feverishly on Let's Run is very similar to what Keith Gill. I'm keeping the power brokers honest, John. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been following this. I mean, I was on Diestat. This was like, I mean, Keith's a few years older than me, but I was on Diestat a lot between the years of about 2006 and 2009. And I'm not going to say I saw this coming, but then when I learned who this guy was, he did have essentially, a, he had a cult of personality on Diestat. He was very popular poster, very witty, very clever, had a lot of followers on there. So then to find out that he still has that as an adult, as deep fucking value on Reddit, I find I found was quite interesting. He says that he wants to put his money into building an indoor track facility in Brockton, his hometown. I think that's awesome. Uh, love to see that he still supports the sport. It's interesting. I think he could have... I'm, I'm not going to claim to be a Wall Street expert here, but... From what I've read, he could have cashed out last week for around forty-six million or so. And as of Monday, he'd actually—I think he'd lost around eleven million or thirteen million from his peak position. But he still had over thirty million. It looks like uh, in between cash on hand and you know his options and that sort of stuff. So I think he's going to do just fine from this. But you know, you probably will have to sell at some point, right? Fortunately, he's already sold some. I think he lost thirteen million yesterday. I mean, he, his positions—he still posts them on there. And running with the Buffalo's author Chris Lear, maybe he could write a book on this guy because Chris is huge in this now. He's telling me to get in on GameStop, and then you guys sent me keys trading from yesterday, and I'm like, oh my god! But I saw like thirteen million in the bank, so he's at least already cashed out some at some point. So. If he just wants to fuck around with what's left, he can. He's free to do what he wants. And Chris Lear, running with Buffalo as author, is is confident GameStop's going to go back up on Friday because everyone's dumped Robinhood because they were they screwed over the little man, and they're now switching over to new brokerage accounts, and they're not going to be funded till Friday. They may come back, but John, a big part about this is called is having diamond hands. Diamond hands means no matter what happens to your portfolio, you stick with it, and it kind of reminds me of running, like. You know, do you want to do you want to play it safe and be a week be a weakling and run a two ten marathon, or do you want to go out with the leaders and, and and go for as long as you can? So Keith is going for broke here a lot of the time. I don't know the way I see it. I, there's an analogy here to a certain American steeplechaser and his coach, and he he's had some success, and maybe then he gets injured for a year, but instead of just selling his position, he needs to stick it through the Olympics and the world championships in Eugene, and maybe he will finally get that gold medal by weathering out the storm. So I think this is actually argument for my, this is fodder for my argument here, Robert. Evan Jager should not jump Jerry Schumacher. Wow. That's a, that's a good, from now on, we should use the diamond hands analogy, but John, I think you've got it backwards. Does Evan Jager want to play it safe? Keith Gill does not play it safe. He goes for broke. Evan, dump Jerry, be coached by yours truly. We will do amazing things. We do need a term on the podcast for someone who's just excellent. And that turns us to Bryce Hopple. Diamond hands, golden legs, golden brain. That guy's bringing it 
every single time. I guess he had one couple shit races last year in September in Europe or something. But besides that, oh my gosh, let's turn to this week's action. He drops a 144. Ooh, 0.38? Am I right? 0.37, I think. I think that's the fraction. At the... Yes, it was 0.37. Okay, I, I got it. At the American Track League meet number two in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I mean, this is his first race of the year. It's the number two time ever for an American. And I guess Brazier's, you know, busted the American record in his first 800 of the year before. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised. But if you think Bryce Hopple, I guess we, we shouldn't think he let off anything because it's now two years ago. He was fourth at Worlds. He had a great year last year. And just picked up right where he left off. But Brazier, Hopple, I mean, way back, dead last in this race, Clayton Murphy, the Olympic bronze medalist. And you're just kind of like, eh, doesn't even matter. Like, we're so sick at 800 right now, men's and women right now. It's crazy how good the U.S. is. It was really good. I mean, the most impressive thing to me is, yeah, like, remember last summer, his first race in six months, he comes out, he runs 143, almost beats Brazier in Monaco. And again, right out of the gates. We haven't even talked about how he ran this race. I mean, it was a slight negative split. So he went 52-23 and then 52-14 for his second uh, 400. And his last lap was 25-8, which is his fastest lap of the race. So there is more in the tank here. And... What I want to see is Donovan Brazier bring it out of him. We need to see Donovan Brazier was supposed to run the ATL meet and he ended up being a late scratch and Raven Rogers were exposed to someone who had tested was positive and so they were withdrawn from the meet. But they weren't supposed to race each other anyway. It was supposed to be Brazier in the 600 and Hopple in the 800. Well, I think we need we now need to see these two guys race in the indoor season. We don't have a USA indoors not sure what the outdoor schedule is going to be like, but the, you know, Popple's definitely fit. If Brazier's getting ready to race, he's going to be fit. I want to see this at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix or at one of the uh, final two ATL meets. It would have to be the f- final one, I think, because I don't think there's an 800 on tap this weekend. And the the one other point I will make there is they have the same agent, Mark Wetmore. This needs to happen. Like Brazier and Amos, Nigel Amos last summer, they didn't race any of those big friendly meets. We can't have people dodging each other. They need to race, and America needs to see it. Well, same agent, John, and that should happen at the New Balance Grand Prix because Mark Wetmore puts on that meet. Which reminds me, I emailed them asking if media will be allowed. I will be there in Staten Island because that track is supposedly super fast. Where did a thing Mo set her 600 American record as a 16-year-old? Staten Island. Where did Donovan Brazier set the world record for the 600? two years ago, Staten Island as well. Yeah. The 800 at the, at the American track league meet was amazing. I mean, they went out, the rabbit was like, I think 51, which is pretty quick, but you know, it's not amazing. The negative split, you weren't expecting a 144. You would not expect the left fastest 200 to be the last 200, but he pulls ahead. He put on, I'm watching it. He pulls away and wins convincingly. But then when I saw that, like when he was getting near the finish, I'm like, wait a minute, look where the clock is. And he finished. I just immediately thought, Whoa, and was amazed by it and was just really excited. And, you know, John Kellogg is here in the office with me. And I just asked him what he thought, John, while you were talking about it. He's like, look, that's got to be one of the fastest negative split 800 ever run. He's like, maybe Boris Sarkovsky ran 
faster, maybe Dave Waddle, but not many guys run negative split 800s faster than that with a 25-8. So that's the type of lethal kick you want to have in championship 800, you know, to, to, to bring to bring home the big hardware. And it was cool to see behind him the guys that got destroyed, but they all ran personal best. Charlie Grice, 145-62. Eric Sawinski. I mean, who would have expected that? And Craig Ingalls. Sawinski's been racing. He's 31 years of age. He races all the time. He's a former world indoor medalist, and he PRs by like something close to a second. So it was cool that they all got you know big, big races. And then what you said in your recap, John, you said the only one who should be disappointed is Clayton Murphy. But to me, I don't think this is that bad for, for, for Clayton Murphy. This is going to be Rojo's peculiar take here. First of all, as I said in our recap, go back five years in time. Almost on this very same date, I think it was like one day before in 2016, Murphy ran a collegiate 800. He ran 148 and got like sixth place in the college 800. He ran slower than he did this weekend, and he ended up getting the Olympic bronze medal later in the year. So Murphy's ahead of where he was five years ago, and he said afterwards that he had he'd gotten dinged up and it didn't feel good. So he backs off and runs 148. He's clearly in better shape than that. I think if he's healthy, he's probably in 146 shape right now at a minimum, which isn't bad. So I, I don't think there's anything to be worried about in terms of Clayton Murphy. Everyone's written him off. He's run 143 or faster in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Um, so I, I think he's – do I think he's going to make the Olympic team? Most likely, yes. I mean, are people stupid? They're writing him off after one race indoors in January. He's 25 years old. He's, you know, look at his track record. He won USA's in 2018. He's run one sub 143, sub 144, I think, for the last five years or something. I mean, this guy's a super talent. I think it's insane to write him off in January. But the one thing, Weldon, you want to chime in about Murphy real quick? Yeah, I may have been participating in that thread. (laughs) (laughs) And then I read you guys' recap and I was like, oops. I just, I, I just was like, wow, Murphy did a terrible. I was like, yeah, this gut reaction, and then you guys put it in perspective, and I'm like, wow, like that's the analysis you need. So you guys have take talked me off the Clayton Murphy clip. What did he run last year? He didn't run well last year, right? He didn't, I, I don't think he really ran any major races outdoors, but. One thing, a couple other things I'll say, Robert. You gave a shout out to Swinsky. I'm, I mean, I'm super impressed by that as well. One forty-five, sixty-nine to run, take almost a second off his indoor PR at age thirty-one, unsponsored. He's not with the Brooks Beast anymore. That was basically he's supposed to join them last year and barely got to train with them because of COVID, and now he's back unsponsored again. But the one thing I wanted to mention, Robert, you said is Bryce Hopple's run on Sunday the fastest negative split 800 of all time. I can definitively say it's not because if you guys recall one year ago at Milrose, when Donovan Brazier set the current American record of 144.22, he ran that race. That was a bigger negative split than Bryce Hopple's race. He ran 53.04, 51.18, and his last lap was 24.89, which was almost a full second faster than Bryce Hopples. If you remember, Brazier was essentially just screwing around the first three laps and then he takes the lead and blows everyone away. So, I mean, that performance was even better than Hopples, not to disrespect Hopple, but that is more impressive negative split. John, last year, Donovan Brazier went 53-51 with the 24-8 last 200 indoors. Yes, I I did literally just say that, Robert, but thanks for repeating it. Oh, I'm saying it to John Kellogg in another room. A rare mistake by John Kellogg, folks. 
rare mistake. But folks, it doesn't mean you don't want to be coached by John and me. We are the geniuses. We can take you to have your goals. We've got a very exciting development. A 34-year-old who hasn't run in like five years has signed up for the program and is demanding that we break the four-minute mile barrier for him for the first time. This guy couldn't break 404, 403 with gags. He couldn't break. He was also coached by Brad Hudson. He wants to now be coached by John and me. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Talent doesn't go away. It's my number one mantra. But this is this is a this is a big ask, right? To ask to have a to take a 34 year old 403 miler who hasn't run in like 10 years down to sub four. But if we do do this, we may be chronicling it on Let's Run. Let the Let's Run Nation follow him, or maybe the VIPs at least follow his training. Is this Keith Gill, Robert? Wow, I did think about that. This guy's almost Keith Gill's age, and Keith Gill's got unlimited money now. So Keith, if you want me to coach you too. You guys could join together. You're the same age and you've got the same PRs. Holy crap. Yeah. That would no, that would be cool. Folks, now joining the podcast is Keith Gill. He's signed. It is not Keith Gill. At least I don't think he had a different name, but this guy is well. Pro- probably if he had a different name, it's probably a different guy. Yeah, it sounds like lying about it to be I don't know. COVID needs to end because these conspiracy theories are taking over. Some guy emailed us this week, and he has the same name of a coach accused of improprieties. And he's like, hey, can you move this thread? Anytime Google's, someone Googles me for work, like this comes up, and there's no pictures, so people think it's me. And Robert's like, it could be the guy covering covering his ass. It's probably the coach, even though like this guy like is in the music industry in Britain, and the coach was who was accused was in Texas. So... But that just shows, like, you run an open forum, like, there's all these issues that come up. I can't believe Robert emailed the guy back and literally said, how do I know it's you're not the same guy? I thought that was just an internal discussion, but he emailed this to his face, and the guy's like, yeah, here's my Instagram, you know, here's an interview, that sort of thing. Rojo, protecting innocent children throughout the world. And, hey, we, we touched on it earlier. Uh, just, uh, COVID's bringing out the worst in some of us, conspiracy theories. It's going to bring it out in me right now. Do we know like who in the zombie NLP got COVID or what the, who the person was like, not that it matters, but I'm just kind of curious like who the contact was or. Well, it did seem weird because Charlie Grice, Craig Ingalls were all allowed to run the meet and they all training with Julian and them in altitude, but then Brazier and Rogers were not allowed to compete. Well, I don't think they were training at altitude. They're out Phoenix, I think, but. This is what Pete Julian said after the race on Instagram. He said, although they had negative COVID test results this morning, we learned today they may have been exposed by someone outside of team and staff. So it was not a member of the team. It's, I mean, we we don't really know. I don't think it's worth speculating on. Oh, it's always worth speculating on. Should we have a Super Bowl segment right now? Because I got to give the pardon my take guys credit for this one, but John, what would happen if, like, Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes had COVID right now? I mean, the, the NFL – do you think there would be some sort of NFL conspiracy to try cover try and cover it up? <laughs> well, one, they're like, there's, they're like, look, there's no way there's the guys are being tested. But I'm like, people love conspiracies. And I'm like, oh, they got to be – they're probably testing them. Yeah, if there's no symptoms, they're like, hey, can you give it a go? Or they postpone the game? No, you, you play the game and you lose. That makes me think of another scenario. I forget. I'm sorry. There was someone on Twitter pointed this out, and I'm afraid I forget who it was. Sorry, sorry, I can't give you credit. But someone was like thinking about this scenario in 
I think it was actually Allison Wade from Fast Women. They had this scenario like, look, Brazier and Rogers got yanked from this meet. What if this happens at the Olympic trials in June? What if some someone is either exposed or they test positive and it's like a star, the magnitude of Allison Felix or Brazier or someone like that or Noah Lyles and they have to withdraw because of COVID protocols. I mean, that isn't just one year. That's four. They have, well, they'd have to wait three years now. But can you imagine being told on like the eve of the Olympic trials, you can't compete because you were in close contact with someone from COVID, with COVID? I think that shows one reason why I think we can have an Olympics and we can have a trials because the athletes are not going to want to get exposed. If you're a contender, you're going to do everything possible to like minimize your contacts, that sort of stuff. And you guys were talking about Olympics, and I think we have it in here to preview the medalist and the distance events. I think still the bigger question is like, are there going to be an Olympics? I mean, maybe we shouldn't talk about this every week, but on the good news. I found betting odds on will there be Olympics and fans attending? And this was saying huge negative 600 fans will be attending. Wow. But Which means that they think they think negative, negative 600 means you bet 600 to win a hundred. So they think it's quite heavy favorites that there will be fans. Yeah, it's plus plus three fifty. There won't be fans. So I don't know. I think this is like 75% uh, without, I should know that. I don't know the decimal, these odds that well, but the only problem is, this was from January 11th on Bovada. Now I can't find the bet at all. It's nowhere to be seen. I'm like, oh, shit. But at least, what, three weeks ago, people were very optimistic about the Olympics. But well, first of all, minus 600 is 85.7% implied probability that there would be Olympics with fans. I don't think that's a stretch at all because I definitely 100% think there's going to be an Olympics. And what does fans mean? It doesn't mean packed stadium. I mean, you can easily have 20% of fans and not socially distanced. As long as you're not sitting, you know, if, if you're outside and you're not within like 10 feet of anybody, I mean, I, I think you could easily have a pot, a family here, a family there, and, and there would be a basically zero risk of, of getting COVID. So I think that that's not that crazy of a bet. Shall we get to this Olympics favorite segment then? I think Robert dropped it in, assuming he doesn't have extra stats in one of his secret Google Docs. Do, do we want to run through these real quick in the distance events? It seems an unusual place to go. Normally we go through the action first, but I'm happy to do that. What's um? We can tease it. We can get back to it later if you want. Say, you know, stay, keep listening. I'm, I'm, I'm flexible here, Rojo. I say we get back to it. But I, I don't know. Like, at some point, a decision is going to have to be made in the Olympics. I don't think you can wait till like a month before. But the huge news this week was RIK half marathon, which this might have been the most stacked half marathon ever. I mean, but probably it seems like every major half marathon is viewed that way. But this thing had Kibuat, Ken, Candier, Jacob Kavlimo, Jeffrey Camor. I mean, that was going to be a sick matchup. And then on the women's side, Ababel, Yashane, and Bridget Koska are going to go to head dead. It's canceled. And Barry Sarah Hole was supposed to go as well. It's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was going to be our big event this month. LA Marathon has been pushed back to some huge date. I don't know, but... Maybe some good news. You can now eat outside in L.A., and restaurants are opening up in New York February 14th. Oh, just in time. Just in time for Valentine's Day, John. If you need to come on yeah. down. Got to get a girlfriend. Um, so, oh, the one thing I was going to say about R.A.K., Jeffrey Camor, the thing it does pave the way for is maybe he could run the Kenyan Cross Country Championships against Kandier 
which I think are the week before. And that would be awesome because remember, Camaro beat Con- sorry, Kanye upset Camaro last year and there were sort of questionable circumstances about Camaro falling or that he might have been knocked over by a young boy with a flag or something. People don't really know what's going on. And that was Kanye's coming out party. He then went on to win RAK, you know, the next week. Can Camaro, the master of cross country, two-time world cross champ, get his revenge against Kanye? Uh, you know, I think it would be interesting to see those two square off. Speaking of cross country and Kenya John, Jeffrey Camaro, I do have good news to report. While well, the RK half was canceled, he did return to action for the first time since his car accident. Wasn't it the car accident that got him hurt? He was run over or hit by a motorcycle in training. Excuse me, a motorcycle accident. Um, he returned to action last week for the first time at the Kenyan Police Champs. And, you know, he destroyed the competition, winning by 30 seconds in 29-22.3. I couldn't really figure out who he beat. Guy by the name of Joseph at Kripertrich and Cassius Masindi, but they were way, way, way back. So it was good to him. And I love this quote that he had he put up on Facebook. He said, We have no choice about how we win or lose, but we do have a choice about how we come back and prepare to win again. I thank God for today's victory because it's through him that I was able to recover and get back to the sport. So Camor is back, and at the women's version of the Kenyan Police Champs, Sheila Chelengat won by five seconds. I'm wondering, John, is that a name that we should be paying attention to? She's only 22. She did run 1440 last summer. Could she be in the hunt for a medal? She beat Hyven Keying, the 2015 steeple world champ and 2016 Olympic silver medalist. So not a bad runner that she beat. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope, I, I'd assume these athletes could also run the Kenyan, the national champs uh, later this month. And then that would maybe give us a better idea of where they stack up nationally uh, in terms of making the team. Yeah. And that would give us something to, to look forward to because at the Kenyan defort, the, the Kenyan defense forces championships were also last week. And you had Helen O'Berry winning the women's competition and Kibo candy winning the men's competition. So everyone was, a lot of those people were going to run that and then run RAK half. Now with RAK half, let's hope that they go to the Kenyan cross country champs just because they want to test themselves. But if they're anything like the Americans, they'll probably just avoid each other. Sadly. Seems like in Kenya, though, they're better making them do stuff than they are in the U.S. Well, I think sometimes you have like the the reason they're running the defense force championships and the police championships is because they're sort of contractually obligated, and so maybe they have in their contract they also have to run nationals. Uh, so I, I'm not totally sure how it works with running nationals, but certainly that's why they're at these uh, other championships. Speaking of contractually obligated. Well, let's jump in time to our talk with Andrew Johnson about his career and how he got started in doing movie scores and that sort of stuff. But in that, Robert says, hey, you know, you got contacts in Hollywood. Make me the Olympic announcer. I can replace Craig Mosbach. And this was mentioned in passing in the last week's podcast. But Craig Mosbach now is the new John Capriati for Nike. Craig, sometimes podcast listener, or at least it used to be in the past. Now, is that too much of a conflict of interest, right? Now he's signing athletes in running. Can he still do the Olympic broadcasting job or will NBC not care? Because before Craig just worked at Nike, but didn't work in running. So do you think he'll still be allowed to broadcast the Olympics? I, I asked an agent about that. And I was, cause I was curious. I'm like, isn't that kind of a conflict of interest? But then he pointed out the other people who appear on the broadcast. I mean, Josh Cox is an agent and 
represents athletes and he does the commentary. Ado Bolden coaches athletes and does the commentary. Steve Cram coaches athletes and he does commentary in Europe. I mean, pretty much anyone involved in track and field media seems to have some sort of conflict conflict of interest. So I wouldn't be surprised if NBC kept him on. Is it appropriate? I, I don't know. In a normal sport, I don't think you would see this, but track and field doesn't really follow the same rules. John, please. Co- coaching an athlete, you coach a handful of athletes, everybody knows who you coach. Craig Mosbach is personally responsible for deciding the income for the number one su- supporter of track and field endorsements. It's crazy that he does it to begin with, and it's even more crazy now that he does it with his current job. But I mean, how is that any how is that any more any crazier? Like, what is his conflict of interest going to be? He decides. Everyone knows he is the Nike guy. I mean, I I kind of agree with you, Robert. Like, how is it so different? He he decides what they're paid, but he's is he going to favor the Nike athletes over the non Nike athletes? Like, how what will be the conflict here that he has to address? The conflict is his job is to promote Nike and to get Nike publicity and, and to make Nike athletes look good. And most, and there's a whole set of athletes, you know, it would be like having the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys commentating in the Super Bowl and, and asking him to be objective about the Kansas City Chiefs or the New York Giants. It just, it wouldn't happen. I mean, yes, Tony Romo used to play for the Cowboys. So, but people know that and can accept that. But Tony's not actively paying Dallas Cowboys now. Okay, that's a fair point. I think I agree with you, but I'm I'm not convinced it's going to be a disqualifying factor. I mean, he already worked for Nike when he was work- when he was commentating the last few years, just not in the same exact role. Yeah, but now he's like arguably what the most powerful man in the sport financially in determining athletes' careers. I mean, no one has more money than Nike, and he's in charge of their purse strings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a completely different relationship than what what he had the pad past. I mean, he—he, he, I've always enjoyed him as an announcer. I like him personally as a person, but it'll be maybe NBC won't give a shit, you know. I mean, but it—it's it, got to be more disclosed than in the past for sure. Because in the past, if he just had sort of like, oh, I work for Nike, people don't, don't need to know because I don't do running. Well, now he does do running, and he could actively sign any athlete in the Olympics to a contract. But you, like, are you are you expecting them to disclose this on every single broadcast? By the way, Craig is the like he's a distance analyst and also the head of sports marketing at Nike Track and Field. Are they going to say that every time out? Because I feel like that's just a they don't need to do it every time out. They need to do it once publicly so the people know it. The very first time they introduce him for the Olympics, at a minimum, it needs to be a major topic of conversation. We've talked about this before with Salazar. How in the hell is he supposed to talk about Salazar objectively? Well, I guess you could say that about anything. Like, how am I supposed to talk about, you know, a Nike athlete objectively when Hoka was sponsored the website last year? But I just think there's a lot less conflict of interest than somebody else. And unlike these other people, I don't hide my conflicts of interest. I openly state what they are. Anyways, let's go back to cross country. In the U.S. domestically, there was a big meet. The Big Ten cross country championships were held for the first time ever in January. And I think John at the top of the show said that the Michigan State women won, as did the Wisconsin, man. I have a question here, Robert. How many Big Ten titles has Wisconsin men won? Do either you or Weldon know how many they've won? 52 Big Ten titles for the Wisconsin men. Wow, I, I love the misplaced conference, confidence there with Robert, who pr- gives us a wrong answer. Weldon, do you have the answer? Like, who cares? Like, going back how many years are we talking about? 
All right, the, uh, the answer is 51, and it goes back to 1910, and I thought it was very impressive because 51 is a shitload of titles. I, I just thought that was cool, and you're just like, oh, I don't even care. I mean, I guess this, you come from an institution that doesn't value conference championship results in cross-country, so maybe that's why, but... Whoa, 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 whoa. John, did you know that, actually? We really don't. Do you know the last time Yale won the half cross-country? Yeah, it was like World War II or something. Yeah. I think we had the longest losing streak of a major conference. Actually, seriously, if someone wants to look this up, you'll get a free Let's Run.com t-shirt. Go to shop.letsrun.com to get your latest merchandise right now. But if anyone has a conference losing streak longer than Yale in a cross-country conference, Yale's not won since, I don't know, like 44, I think, or it's World War II. So the like the guys, Yale didn't send a, guys, a couple guys to the war, and we won. And since then, we've lost. So. Maybe we're still being punished, but Nazis are bad. I'm getting it out there. Come on, let us win one. And also remember, let's run.com slash subscribe. Join the supporters club today. 100% if you sign up this week, all of the money goes to Jonathan Galt. Show your love and support. If you're going to sign up this year, you got to sign up now so John gets paid. So seriously, no excuses. Don't put it off. You have six days to sign up for this for Jonathan's bank account to be helped. But speaking of, of the Let's Run shirt, the other day I wore the black 15940 asterisk shirt home, and my wife saw it. She's like, wow, that black shirt is so much better looking than the red shirt. So she, men, if you want to look good for the ladies, get the black shirt. I don't think my wife has no idea that it's making a totally different statement than the red shirt. She thinks they're the same, like one's a red goat shirt and one's a black goat shirt. But she likes the funeral theme, the colors. Sexy, all men look good in black, all women do as well. So, it is the most popular color of shirts apparently nationwide. So I didn't realize that t shirts. So, go ahead and check that out. But back to the Big Ten champs, John. I don't know. We, we talked about the winners, um, individual winners. We didn't mention Bethany has a senior in Minnesota who recently ran 1550 for 5k indoors, showed up across country, and we got the win. And on the men's side, this impressed me, George Cush. The 1,500-meter runner, 339 guy from Nebraska, South African, first race of the year, wins it. So I know there's a lot of good NCAA models. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But 339 for for to win the Big Ten cross country is, is pretty impressive. But what I wanted to talk about, folks, was something – I started a thread about this. There's 14 teams in the Big Ten. I know it's a misnomer. But there was only nine men's finishing teams recording team score, and I think 10 women's teams. Now, not everybody has a program, but a couple teams like Iowa, who's nationally ranked in track. They're like a top 10 program this year in track. They only ran three people in the Big Ten meet and didn't record a team score. And I was like, shouldn't they have found two other people to like just finish the race? If they'd actually had two people finish in last and next to last places, they would have beaten the team. They would have beaten Ohio State. And I started a thread about this. This rubbed me the wrong way. And people were like, how dare you accuse you – know, some people supported me, but some people were like, how dare you challenge them? And I'm like, look, if our, if the coaches aren't going to take this seriously and act like the, the team score matters, then why would anyone else? It sounds like they went out of their way to me to not record a team score so they don't show up in last place. Whereas I think, hey, fin- next to last place. Finishing next to last is better than not finishing at all. Yeah, I mean, my take on this is, look, if you have a men's cross-country team, they have 12 guys on the on the online roster, which isn't a lot, but that's enough to field a full team. If you have a full team, if you, what's the point of having a cross-country program if you're not going to send a team to the conference meet? If you're not going to do that, don't even have a program. Well, 
I, they didn't want to run anyone, I think, that, that could potentially score at the Big Ten track meet. I think they thought it would impact their their training or something like that. So they're, they're better distance runners than run. But I found five guys real quick that really have no chance of scoring that seemingly could have run the race. Um, but maybe, you know, there could be COVID protocols. But okay, John. But if we're going to use this, it's a little bit dicey. I mean, the, the way I, I – the best analogy I came up with was – Imagine if there's like a five and and twenty baseball, you know, basketball team, and these guys also play football. Would they skip? You know, they're even though you're five and twenty, you're still going to try to win the twenty first game of the year as much as you can. Or you're gonna if you go to the conference tournament, you're going to try to win that. But if there's a big football game coming up, and these guys also play football, might they skip the conference tournament to play football? I think it's possible they might skip the conference tournament to play football. And John, if we're going to use this criteria, we also have to apply it to distance only schools. So. Are these NAU guys? Are these BYU guys? Are they going to run their conference meet? I guess for BYU, it's easy because they don't have a conference meet for indoor track. But are, are we going to rip the NAU athletes if they don't run the conference meet and track? Yes or no? No, I'm not. And actually, that, that is a good point, Robert, that I didn't consider. I guess I'm coming at it from a distance perspective in that I care. Like, I would much rather care about the cross-country conference meet than indoor track. But that is a that's a valid point and one I didn't consider when I ripped Iowa. So I think maybe I'd like to know the explanation. I think maybe it's unfair of me to totally rip them without knowing the whole situation. Maybe there are COVID issues. So thank you for bringing some reason and talking me down. No, because it's interesting because I kind of talking myself down. Like if NAU doesn't show up at the track meet or if they, I mean, they might not double the guys. Am I just, it, it, this gets to the old J criteria. Like, okay. And then if you run them, like, should you double them and maximize their points or do you just run them in one event? I mean, a lot of schools that aren't that good at track don't, don't, you know, quote unquote abuse their stars. I mean, when I was coaching at Cornell, I often felt bad tonight for my best sisters runners because they would have to run two, sometimes three races in a weekend because we wanted to win that team title. Whereas, you know, I always made fun of the Dartmouth guys and the Yale guys for being so soft. They, they would like their, their star, you know, Ben True would show up and run one event and then they call it a day. I'm like, dude, don't you want to elevate your team from seventh to fifth? But it didn't seem to be a priority for the coaching staff. Okay, people are like turning out. Like this is cross country in February, and we're debating whether Iowa or uh, I guess Iowa, not Iowa State, should have had two fill-in runners so then get last place. Like people are going to give them a pass. Who cares? As a coach, it looks better to like probably not have a team score than to get last and or second to last. And during COVID, you can get away with it. No one's going to care. I think it's the big news is like at least cross country is going on. Ivy League, no cross country, no winter sports. Parents, you're paying what it costs $75,000 to go to these schools and your kids can't do sports when the rest of the country's teams are doing sports. Like, hope you're taking the semester off. But the big cross country matchup was in Las Vegas this weekend. Number one, NAU taking on number two, BYU. And the victors were not number one, NAU, but number two, BYU with Connor Mance beating Nico Young, the true fresh, was second place. And John, you broke down this race. And as you pointed out, NAU set out two guys who would have made the difference. So on paper, this wasn't a bad result for NAU. They're still the favorites in nationals. And then you wrote something in your recap, John, saying that before the year started, you were contemplating whether Nico Young could win NCAs. That's the most shocking thing I've seen written by you. And I started a thread on this last night. I'll link to it in the show notes. Like, what? That's crazy. That never would have crossed my mind. And now you're acting like you're not thinking it. He just got second in this huge meet. And now you've backed off the claim? Like, I'm actually on board now. Kind of like, 
at least it maybe should have been in there like a 2% chance. But what are you thinking now? All right. I'll explain my rationale here. First of all, I didn't think say he was going to win. I was wondering if he could win. Because I was interested, I always find it fascinating that Bob Kennedy back in 1988 in, for Indiana won NCAA cross as a true freshman, true American freshman. Like, you know, Edward Cheserek won NCAA cross as a true freshman, but he was a little older and he's also from Kenya. So anyway, I was curious. I'm like, is this ever going to happen again? And let's go back to September. We didn't have an outdoor track season with people dropping all these crazy marks. We didn't have an overwhelming favorite in the men's race. We had Connor Mance was the top returner coming back in third place from 2019. But it's not like he was viewed as some god. And Nico Young was insane in high school. I mean, this guy just, he trounced a very good NXN field. He ran 756 for 3K indoors, the national record. And he's an endurance-based guy. Like, he is a guy who the 10K distance would really suit. So, I'm looking at all these things. I'm saying, okay, there's no clear favorite. Nico Young's an absolute stud. Like, if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen this year. Then the full cross-country season happens. Wesley Kiptu is an absolute monster for Iowa State. I'm like, oh my God, he's not going to beat that guy. And Luis Grijalva and Kupatir end up running, you know, sub-1320 at the trap meet in December. I'm like, well, he's not going to beat those guys. So now, I essentially, I just don't think Maybe Tier, if he goes all in on NCAA track, which is very possible with how good Oregon's team is, he's too tired and he doesn't come back and run that well at NCAA cross. But for Grialva, I mean, he's a 1316 guy. I don't think Nico Young's going to, he only ran 1344 at that track meet. So he's not beating him. He's not beating Kiptu. I don't think he's going to win the race. But the fact that he was that close to Mance, who was the preseason favorite, I think validates my take that it was at least something we could have pondered. Okay, John, well, you're right about John's completely, his logic makes no sense here. Oh, my God. Him thinking it at the beginning of the summer was crazy. Him not thinking about it now is even dumber. He just got second. Yes, it's possible he can win it. It's unlikely. John, did you not realize that Grijalva, did he run this weekend? No. So he could be injured. That's a possibility. And by the way, I'm, I'm now going to rip myself. So I ripped Iowa for not running the Big Ten meet. Should I be ripping NAU? They didn't run two of their best guys. They didn't try to win this cross-country meet. So... I, I don't know. I mean, teams all the time, I guess, allocate resources. But to me, it's just some level we need to try harder. But for all we know, Grialva's hurt. It's got watered down. There's no super studs, you know, with a cross-country pedigree like there have been in some years where you can't imagine that guy losing. So I think it's possible. Wesley Kiptu has been destroying everyone over the, in the Okay, fall. but Wesley Kiptu just got third place in a, in a 3,000. So he didn't exactly – he's not dominating right now in indoor track, so – I know it's not the same thing as, as cross country, but he just got. Did he? What was the result there? Arkansas three thousand meter. Cooper Tier seven forty six. Cole Hacker seven forty six. Wesley Kipto seven forty eight thirty six. So there you have it. He's getting beaten. You know, I, I know a three thousand is a long way from it from a ten thousand, but is it possible he wins? Yes. Is it likely? Absolutely not. It's definitely more unlikely that he wins this year than he ever wins it. W- which is more likely? I think it's. Less likely that he wins this year no, I th- than he ever wins an NCAA cross-country title. And I don't think that either one of those is all that high. you got to rephrase that. You're saying he's more likely to win in the future than he is this year? I would agree with that. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say. I think that the odds that he wins this year are really small. I think the odds that he ever wins in all four years are still not that great. 
mean, let's go back to the last time in American won, John. How many years has it been? It's been 13 years. Galen Rupp, well, 12 and a half. Now, he's a big talent. 2008. Yeah, but Nico Young's a big talent. Like, Nico Young is running faster than Galen Rupp did for 3K in high school. Nico Young's running faster than Dathan Ritzenhain did, who also won an NCAA title. I look at Nico Young, I see Dathan Ritzenhain. I think they're similar levels of talent in high school. I think Ritz was a bit better, but Nico Young's an absolute stud. So, I don't know. Yeah, is he going to... It's tough to win an NCAA title, but I think he's talented enough to do it. But my whole thing is, I don't know. I think given in September, I think his chances to win were higher in September than they are now because these other guys have emerged and proven that they're total studs. Whereas Nico is running very well as I expected to, but these guys, these other guys just look like they're a couple of them are cut above him. I mean, these NCAA guys are running really fast, but am I stupid to think NCAA is a little bit weaker these last few years? We just had two guys, two collegians run 13, 16, and 13, 17 in December. Is that is that weak? I acknowledge that, but I don't know. I feel like some of these longer distance guys, like Edwin Kurga, like what the hell has he done? Well, he hasn't really had, like the problem with Edwin Kurga is he hasn't gotten a chance to race. Uh, he didn't get a chance to race his senior year in indoor and outdoor track. And maybe we would have gotten something really special from him. And what's his name? Wesley Kiptu? Like, so he was the number two last year at Iowa State? Like, no, he's a Juco guy. This is his first year. He hasn't, again, he also hasn't gotten to run super fast track times. I mean, Edwin Cargo's run 1324 for 5K. That's, it's not a, it's pretty quick. Well, I think it's a little bit weaker than obviously the Lolly Lang years and Edward Cheswick years, and he basically needed to be a 13 flag guy to win it. But maybe that's what I'm getting at. But maybe I'm wrong. And, Kipti might be sort of like Olang, sort of just out of nowhere, boom. Yeah, what about Grialva? If he's running 13-16 in December, you don't think it's possible he could get to 13-0 by this summer? I mean, or Kupatia? I, I think these guys are really good. We just don't have the full picture. They haven't. They didn't get to race outdoor track last spring, and they haven't had their outdoor track or indoor track seasons this year yet. So we're not working with the full set of data. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's like my subtle biases. I need a prominent Kenyan name, and if you're recognizable and I've heard you for a long time, I think you're really good. Whereas if you're Luis Grialva from what Honduras or something like that? Guatemala. Guatemala. Oops, my apologies. I'm just not as fearful, even though you're running like way to hell faster. So Luis, go out and kick some ass and win the damn thing this year. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about other college, some other college running accomplishments. I mean, Oregon smashes the men's DMR national record, which they set only last year. There was 924.52 last year. And then they come out and run 9.19. So they took almost five full seconds off of this. It's also the fastest indoor DMR run ever by anyone. I mean, obviously pros don't run it that much, but the previous world, you know, fastest time ever was 9.19.93 by Matthew Centrowitz, Mike Berry, Eric Sawinski, and Pat Casey back in 2015. And the splits here, you had Cole Hawker, 249, 89 on the 1200 leg. Luis Peralta, 47.29 on the 400. Charlie Hunter, 147.65 on the 800. And Cooper Tier, 354.61 on the 1600. And it spawned this thread, which I found very interesting. How does this Oregon DMR shape up against their best in program history? And the post from John Wesley Harding was, my question is, would you put any of these guys on your all-time U of Oregon DMR? It's a tough squad to make. And then he puts his lineup on there. 1,200 leg Andrew Weeding, 
400 leg Otis Davis, 800 leg Joaquin Cruz, 1600 leg Matthew Sensowitz Jr. And this we're talking about their collegiate selves. And I think that's the lineup, to be honest. If you look at their accomplishments, I mean, Weeding, 2010, he won NCAAs in the 800 and the 1500. He ran 144 and 330 that summer. Otis Davis, even in 1960, he was, I mean, it's crazy that you got a 400 guy from 1960, but that's, I think it's, you got a strong argument. It should be him. He ran 4507 and broke the world record and won Olympic gold that year. 800 leg Joaquin Cruz. I mean, 1984, Joaquin Cruz was one of the greatest 800 runners who's ever lived. He was the NCAA 800 1500 champ, 141.77, which was number two ever at the time, behind only Coe's world record. And he ran 3.36 and won the Olympics in the 800 that year. Then Centro in 2011, he was the NCAA and US champ, got bronze at Worlds, ran 3.34 for 1500 that summer. My only quibble is... If you're going straight time trial, I think you sub Weaving and Centro. I think you put 2011 Centro on the 1200 leg and 2010 Weeding on the anchor leg because Weeding was better time trialer at that point, I think. Because, you know, they both went to Monaco. Weeding ran tw- 330 and Centro it's only ran 334. So that's my only quibble. But I, I think that's the lineup. And I think as good as this group that just broke it, they're not going to make the team. Let me interrupt these guys would not be on the all-time Oregon DMR team. That's absurd. The, the question that there's a huge threat on is, is this the greatest mid-D squad ever at Oregon? And that's a more interesting dis- discussion. I don't think at the top end it's as good as the the weeding and Centrowitz years. But, you know, do these four or five guys combined add up and score more points than any other group of, of people? And that's going to be hard to tell because NCAAs may be watered down. I mean, Oregon could possibly win the team title because NAU and some of these guys don't run the meet. But it's a pretty sick group. Um, I mean, think about it this way. How good is Oregon's mid-D squad right now? Reed Brown, this weekend, ran a 252 on the 1200 on the B team and came back and ran a 356 mile. He can't even make this DMR. So they have a 356 miler. So the day after they ran this DMR, they ran a um, Charlie Hunter from Oregon, ran 354 in the mile. Reed Brown ran 356. And then Tier and Hawker went 746 and 746 in the 3000. So they've, they've definitely got some studs. But, you know, on this thread on Let's Run about the greatest Oregon squads, John, they've got that team. It's not, they don't even, a lot of people are talking about the Centrowitz weeding Acosta team that went one, two, three at NCAAs in the 1500. But the other people are like, no, that's not actually the deepest team. It's the more recent team when one of your Dartmouth alums was on it, John. Did you have the stats in, in front of you about how many? Yeah. So, this this team is absolutely ridiculous, Robert. Uh, it was the 2015 squad, and th- they scored 70 points at NCAA indoors in the distances. Like, I don't think that this current Oregon squad can do that, even against a watered down field. I think that's going to be super difficult to do because you had Edward Cheserak, who was an absolute stud, you know, 352 miler in college, he didn't run quite that fast yet, but he won the NCAA mile title that year. They won the mile with Cheserak, the 3K with Eric Jenkins, the 5K with Eric Jenkins, and the DMR with Cheserak on there. They also had Johnny Gregoric, who was a US, who was like fifth at the Olympic trials the following year. You had Colby Alexander, oh, sorry, sixth at the Olympic trials the following year. Colby Alexander, Daniel Wynn, Will Gohegan, those three guys all made the US final that summer in the 1500. Uh, is just and Sam Prakel, future three hundred and fifty miler. He 
he really didn't – I don't think he even scored or did anything for them at NCAAs. He's on the roster. It was just a ridiculous, ridiculous team. And Cesarek's a better runner than I think anyone they have on that team right now. Hey, that team's probably better, but this team – one, I'm kind of crushed – not wrong word there. I'm just surprised that they beat the old record by five seconds. That's a lot. And I'm kind of looking at the splits. I'm like, which split really stands out? And I guess they're really good. But the 400 is not that great. Like, you can make another second there. This year will be weird because NCAAs cross and indoors will be watered down. But I think Ben Thomas, coach at Oregon, I mean, he great mid-distance guys at Virginia Tech. And I think he hasn't gotten his due at Oregon because last year was his second year, right? So, like, NCAAs got canceled. So we just had – we don't give probably the guys now enough credit because they haven't done anything at NCAs. So wait a year. And I think this year will be weird. Maybe outdoors that they do it and everyone's there and it's a full squad just to sort of get the recognition or who knows, maybe they go just crush water down fields this year and people don't care. They give them credit anyway. He definitely hasn't gotten his credit. And that's probably because Jonathan Galt is generally the one praising the coaches. And Jonathan Galt was the one leading the thing. Once the Powell's left Oregon, Oregon was done. The greatest coaches ever had left Oregon. So never said that, never made basically my bias is how old are the Powell's John? Are they 40 yet? I basically refuse to acknowledge any coach under the age of, I'll say 45 in case they're 40. John refuses to acknowledge any coach over the age of 45 as being great. But Ben Thomas is amazing. And I think I said this on the on the podcast. When he took the job at Oregon, I was talking to an NCAA coach and I said, hey, are you interested in the Virginia Tech job? And they said, absolutely not. Why would I want to try to follow up the best mid-distance coach in the country? And the results he's having at Oregon are very impressive. So congrats to him. But the, one question I have, though, is I made fun of the pals. But they've got their own Studley Miler. Who's the favorite for the NCAA mile? Samuel Tanner has been in New Zealand. He just ran 354.97. So Charlie Hunter of Oregon ran 354. And then Tanner is younger, though, and ran 354.97. So 354.54 and 97. Now, John, though, if um, Tanner gets wins it, do we give him? Do we give the Pals credit? Because he's been training under a different coach in New Zealand. All right. There's so many things to unpack here. First of all, I don't mention Ben Thomas because I know it's a guarantee. Anytime we talk about Oregon, Robert will come up and say the same story. He's told me at least five times about how some coach told him Ben Thomas was the best distance coach in the country. There's no way I'm taking the Virginia Tech job. Anyone who was already paying attention to running knew Ben Thomas was a really good coach because he did have such a studly mid-D crew. You know, Vincent Ciati and Neil Gawley. Remember, they won NCAAs in the DMR back in 2018. But I was like, look, I'm not going to mention Ben Thomas because I know guaranteed Robert will bring it up and say how he was on to him before everyone else. And of course, Robert did it as as requested. So Robert, you know, and if anyone playing the Let's Run.com podcast drinking game, take a shot there. He also slandered the pals, which he does pretty much every week. So take another drink there. And I, I can't believe this, Robert. You're proposing Sam Tanner as the NCAA mile favorite. One, we don't know if he's going to be coming back for NCAAs. Like I texted Andy Powell about this. I'm like, you know, he's in New Zealand. They basically have no COVID there. Is he going to come back? He's like, look, we're trying to figure it out. We don't really know what the deal is. So who knows if he's going to run NCAAs, but are you just, are you overlooking your future Olympian there? Yard Nagoose? Are you just assuming he's, he's not going to be running NCAA mile. He's only going to be doing cross country. Like, have you forgotten about your boy? I haven't forgotten about him, but he kind of got smoked in cross country this week, right? Didn't he like seventh place or eighth place or something? 
So that means that he's not a good miler anymore? Like, he got eighth in a very good field. Last week when I was reminding myself of how I, I've predicted this guy to make the Olympic team, I thought maybe I should shoot higher and say that he could win a, a medal because I think he's clearly... Clayton Murphy did it four years ago, so it's not unprecedented. Matthew Centrowitz has, has 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 risen up and gotten a medal while in college. So, yeah, Nagus, it's going to be a fascinating mile. I mean, th- th- there's so much talent, so many people running fast. Um, the one thing, the one take I don't like on this, though, John, and you kind of said it, and it's, oh, a number of people on the message board are saying this when they're talking about this Oregon team and where they rank. Is, oh, they're running this in January and February, or I guess February now. Imagine how much faster they're going to run outdoors. I, I, I don't, I'm not convinced they're going to run super much that much faster outdoors. You know, these are time trial situations, no wind. People are pent up to run well. A lot of people, this has also been pointed out, in the, and, and, you know, we've talked about why people might be running well now. One, They've had a long base to focus on this. Two, they're not partying because of COVID. And there's another thing that that, that um, someone pointed out in the message board that I hadn't thought about is a lot of these runners were training in Flagstaff at altitude during the fall and just taking online classes. So you have the altitude effect as well. Robert, are we are we not going to address the elephant in the room? The spikes. This is something I got a message from an, a prominent agent. And we saw that he saw the times and he just texted me. He's like, are we, are we supposed to celebrate this? I mean, I, I think this is something we could see is that these spikes do make a difference. And if you say like, Oh, they maybe take off a second in a 1600 or something like that. Look, obviously these guys already had the record. They're really, they're studs, but you have to consider it at least when you're looking at these performances, especially a DMR getting blown away by five seconds. I mean, it's certainly a consideration that it, the spikes could have something to do with it. Oh no, John, I didn't even thought about that. Like for the last, what, four years now, every marathon thing, I sort of think about the shoes. It never crossed my mind. I'm like, Oh wow, these guys ran fast. I guess it's just more time trial opportunities. Oops. So I'll probably put about half the time, at least on the spikes. Also, these guys did it at Arkansas, right? So there's no meets in Washington. You got to fly across the country to do a meet. Like some of this COVID shit makes no sense. They do have meets in Washington, but they are very restrictive. And I think they had already, they essentially, Arkansas had said, hey, we're having meets and invited a bunch of schools, whereas Washington took a little longer to figure it out and more restrictive. So I'm assuming Robert Johnson just decided Hey, we got a bird in hand here in Arkansas. We'll we'll do that, and they're going out a couple more times, I think, to compete there between you know an invitational and NCAA's. I can't be willing to think of shoes. That was one of the first things I, I I mentioned. I'm not willing to say it's definitely the shoes. I don't know enough, but it very well could be the shoes. But there's a number of other factors that also could be playing a role here. There was one underappreciated performance. My underappreciated performance of the week from last week was came from Marcus Arop, the two-time NCAA runner-up in the 800. Very underappreciated because his name's Mako Arop. Thank you, John. He was seventh at Worlds in the 800 in 2019. He ran his mile debut last week. He's never run a mile in his life. This is a fast guy. He runs 357.5. I'd be interested. Mako Arop is like kind of a bigger guy. I'd like to know how, like, who are the heaviest sub-four milers in history? Paul McMullen's probably going to be one of them. He was a big guy. Josh Kerr on his podcast always talks about how heavy he is. Josh Kerr, actually, I'd like to see him be the first 200-pound sub-four miler. I think he's good, talented enough to do it, and I think he's also maybe uh, ballsy enough to do it. So that would be curious. But 
Marco Erop's like kind of a bigger guy. I'm kind of, I'd be curious to know what his weight is, but maybe we're not allowed to talk about weight on the podcast anymore. It's 2021. No, this PC shit's gone. We're, we're treating men and women the same. We're talking about whatever we want to talk about. What about weeding, John? He's so tall. I mean, the weight thing kind of gets unfair if you're really tall, but weeding probably has got to be up there, right? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, Marco, it's obviously Marco's not like fat by any stretch, but he's like very broad shoulder. Like he's a big, um, you know, for an 800 runner, he's like pretty sizable. Um, so that's interesting. But obviously 357, again, this is like what? Probably his indoor indoor opener. Uh, that's some pretty good strength for that for him at this point of the year. Enough talk about big milers. Let's talk about small distance runners on the other side of the globe. Last weekend, John, we had the Osaka Marathon. We have a new world leader for 2021, early world leader. Mayo Ichiyama ran 221.11. It was an interesting race. They were going for the Japanese national record. They had male pacers in this all-women's race. Um, wanted to break the Japanese national record. She went out in 69.35. She went for it but did not get it, but she did run 221.11. She's already on the Olympic team, if you guys remember, at the Marathon, what's it called, the Marathon Grand Championships? Is that what it's called, John? The Olympic Trials? I believe so, yes. She was only sixth there, but then she ran like 220.29 in Nagoya to make the team. So she's on the Olympic team. She was first. And then the second-place finisher, Hunami Maeda, uh, she's also on the Olympic team. She ran 223.30. Interesting, David Monty just put out a tweet for some reason, and to me, this is just stupid, but hey, it's not all about the shoes. Maeda wore the, according to Monty, thin-soled Asics racing flats instead of the brand's prototype super shoe. So actually, when I see that, I'm like, wow, Asics super shoe must not be that good. Although I guess here at Hallway, it runs in them, but I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be running in non-super shoe, but that's the problem is some people have, you know, it's big variance in individual um performances nick willis saw that tweet and he responded to it i ran a massive four mile tempo pr and a pair of adidas boston's which are regular shoes last week i think a lot of the benefit of the new super shoe comes from the recovery from long runs and hard workouts it's a cumulative effect so not only does it help you in the races it could also help you um, in training but guys i want to end the show with a, 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 a topic that popped into my head who do you guys consider to be the number one favorite in the distance events, 800 through marathon for the Olympic gold. Wait, which person? Is it Hassan? Is it Bridget Coast guy? You know, et cetera, male and female. We're going to do that at the end of the podcast. But first, we're going to have an interview, a guest appearance by the guy that's invented. I mean, that's not the right word. Has composed the new let's run.com score for the podcast. This is... A fellow Yale alum like Weldon, fellow Yale cross-country runner, Andrew Johnson. So that's coming up now. And Andrew wants John to get paid more. Let's run.com slash subscribe. All the year subscriptions go to John if you sign up this week. And remember, I'm on the drinklmnt.com website, drinklmnt.com slash let's run. All of this in the show notes. Sign up for your free sample pack now. All right, we're back here with Man of the Hour, Film score, Andrew Johnson, the guy behind the new Let's Run.com theme music and intro. And Andrew, you go by Andrew Brick Johnson, I believe, professionally. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. 
is that to differentiate yourself from the disgraced former president? Yeah, there's just a lot of overlap with impeached presidents and film composers, so it helps distinguish me. Well, all right, I have another, I have a big question for you. Maybe the biggest question you're going to face on today's podcast. And it's, I love the theme, but this is going to how judge, it's going to impact how I judge you as a human being. What was your best finish at the Haps? You know, not good. Um, poor enough that I literally don't remember. I'm not just like pretending not to know. Um, you, I was usually a reliable fifth or sixth guy for Yale, but like over and over again. So like the old guys would graduate and the new guys would come in and beat me. Um, so it was probably in the 30 to 60 range, depending on the year. Uh, but I, but I honestly don't know. Okay. Well, I, you know what? I never scored in the track either. You can still go on to do great things without scoring at the haps on the, tr- in the track on the track. So, uh, yeah, we're glad to have you on the podcast, and uh, thanks again for the for the work on the theme songs. Oh, I, I mean at Van Cortland Park. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in, in track, I was a little better. <laughs> I no, no, no. I assumed if you were thirties to sixties on the track in cross country, you didn't score on the track either. So I it's made true. It, it just wasn't quite as bad. You know, I gotta have a little pride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I uh, look. I'd actually, frankly, I'd have been impressed if you got like in the sixties in uh, uh, track caps. That would have been tough to do. So uh, international visitors may not know what we're talking about. The Heps is, of course, the Ivy League championships, which I never competed in because I didn't even bother to. I was smarter than you, Andrew. I, I didn't even bother to run in college, just live it up, you know, live with the guys that ran track so I could talk track. But then why bother training? A little bit easier. But uh, the question I had is, what year were you at Yale? You look younger than me, so I imagine you must have, I must have coached, I must have battled my guys. I must have led my guys into battle against you. Yeah, I, I remember you. You, I was 06, so I would uh, see you looking uh, stately and intimidating off in the distance in your Cornell gear. Um, and w- we knew about, I, I knew about your website because I learned about it on my recruiting visit to Yale. Um, all the guys had it open, and one of them was saying, I know the guys that founded Let's Run.com, and I had never heard of the website. But I think since then, it's probably one of the only sites in my life that I've visited, I'm going to say at least once a month since 2002 or 2003, including like studying abroad in Paris. Like I would go to the little internet cafe and at the end I'd go, you know, I wonder what's going on with Let's Run. And so I think that you guys are the only site that that I can say that about. That's good. I'll I'll take that as a compliment. What prompted you just one day to reach out and offer to score some music for us well I, I listen most probably every week and i had thought repeatedly like i i wish they would use music at least in the intro and you know, i was just working on other stuff and i figured there was probably a reason you didn't and then the what finally prompted me to reach out is you did use music in the intro to like the breakout podcast or something um and i thought that's kind of similar to what i would have proposed so, but I also knew that that wasn't, I could tell that that wasn't written just for you. So I thought maybe they're interested. Um, so yeah, I dropped you a line. How long did it take to compose this? It doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of time to actually do. Maybe the long one probably took me a couple hours. And then the short one is honestly, most of it was me trolling YouTube and figuring out how to make the little audio snippets sound good. Um, so like that probably took an hour, 
and then the actual notes themselves are pretty quick. It, you know, it's, it's simple. It's simple music, but hopefully effective. No, there's nothing simple. Me just trolling the YouTube would have taken me like two days. You got really good clips. I tried, I wanted to use the Alan Webb. There's, I love the line because it's just burned into my memory of uh, like, look at Alan Webb. It's the magic of Hayward Field or the adrenaline or the combination thereof. And I was like, oh, I have to use that. But the audio is just like unacceptable. <laughs> and so there were probably three or four other clips that I really wanted. And then, you know, ended up going with like a Usain Bolt one because I figure got to represent sprinters. It sounds good too. No, I felt like, yeah, you even had a good, you know, diversity to rage these days. We had sprinters. There was a clip of, uh, about a woman going faster. I'm like, okay, this that is That was good. M- Emma Coburn winning, uh, I think it was the Steeplechase Worlds. But, but yeah, no, it was all very thoughtful and inclusive. Some international, you know, accents on the clips. It was, it was great. Yeah, in terms of the audio of the podcast, so are you judging us every week? Like, oh, shit, the audio quality sucks. Or I mean, we're, We've come a long way, but... You know, A to F, how do you rate us? Uh, I only judged the lack of music because I felt that that was an, an area I could contribute. That's a very diplomatic answer. Thank you. <laughs> hey, kids, it also shows. I, so he must have listened to the Robert Brandt, Where Your Dreams Become Reality podcast. And I was like, we need something. I'm going to try to put something on here. And I just like started Googling around the internet, found some free thing to try to put in and i'm like oh this probably sucks but it's better than nothing that that was the clip well thank you well this is cool because i don't know music makes things so much better like when i'm watching i I don't have time with a three-year-old to watch a lot of hbo or movies and stuff like that but i was watching it once and i was thinking about it i'm like i wonder what it's like for the actors like when they're acting in this stuff or these things they don't have this amazing music that heightens your senses you know it's totally different like the actual experience for the people the finished product is way better than when it's being made. So how does that work? Does somebody, does a TV or a movie producer come to you and say, hey, we've got this five minutes to scene where we need, it's a battle? Or like, Explain how that works behind the scenes. Or, 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 or is it already filmed first before you do the, the music on top of it? In almost every case, you get it when it's filmed and edited. There, there are times when you read a script and they want you to write something in advance. But most of the time, you get a scene. These days, they usually use temporary music. So we just call it temp music. And that's like something that was written for something else that they put underneath. Sometimes it's okay, but a lot of times it just doesn't quite fit. And when you take that music out in order to do your own thing, it seems terrible. Uh, that was like one of the biggest lessons I learned is I would watch these you know, great films and movies and want to emulate them. And then the projects I worked on wouldn't have music. And I would say, these are just awful, but they weren't, they just needed music. And it took me a little bit to figure out, you know, what is the emotion that it needs? What is the degree of that emotion? Where do you shift? But once you do, yeah, you can really bring a scene to life. And how how do you get into the industry? I mean, how how do you get started? Honestly, everyone has a, a different path. Um, some people are into the pop side and then they come over some, I, I was a classical pianist originally and then got into, uh, g- going more the production route, but you really just need to know someone that will hire you. I mean, it's really as simple as that, whether it's a producer, a director, uh, an editor, if an actor can recommend you once you're in, you have a relationship and then hopefully people come back to you. 
Well, do you have any, any ends for me? I, I did think partially I saw you and I saw some music and I thought maybe, maybe this is the NBC executive hiring me to be the distance announcer for the Olympics. <laughs> we can get rid of one old Ivy League white man, Craig Mosbach, and hire myself. It's a, at least a younger version. It's a little bit more woke, you know. Well, I think that the idea is if you use the longer version, that's essentially a weekly audition reel for you to, to do your thing. Um, you find your best two or three, and then you submit those. Um, so it, it wasn't the main motive, but that was definitely an ulterior motive of mine. Very good. Andrew, I'm sure you didn't first get hired like Robert by just ranting on a podcast that you should be doing something and not submitting any tapes or samples or anything to anyone. No. Uh, prior to prior to this this music, what what would you say? What are you most proud of in your work? Like, what's your the biggest thing you've worked on or that you enjoy doing the most? Uh, the favorite show I've ever worked on was Glee, um, which is that the kind of musical comedy show. And I I wasn't the main composer on that because I was a lot younger, but I did quite a bit quite a bit of work, and I thought that was just fun because every week was entirely different. Like it might be serious. It might be comedy. And that just meant the style of music was never the same. Um, my favorite is when I write a lot of music just to be licensed. So you never know who's going to use it. So the favorite thing is when I'm watching something that I enjoy myself and, you know, like key and peel or always sunny in Philadelphia or Bill Maher. Um, and all of a sudden I, hear something and it takes five or 10 seconds to go like, Oh, I've heard this before. And then you remember like, Oh, I wrote that. In fact, it's just sitting on my hard drive in the, in the other room. And so that's probably the, the most fun because you, you don't expect it. Whereas if you spend three months on a movie and then it's on Netflix, you're like, you know, every scene inside and out. So I probably wouldn't admit this to most filmmakers, but I don't usually watch it again because I know exactly what happens in every scene Whereas, yeah, watching something that you didn't know that you scored is pretty fun. Do you run much these days? So I don't. I've Unfortunately, I'm a cyclist. And I say unfortunately because I've just... The reason I'm so ashamed of my Yale performances is I would always get like three months uninjured and then get close to PR shape and then it would all come crumbling down again. And so since then, I just reverted to long roads, uh, road cycling... My heart is really still in running, though. So that's when I listen to the podcast is when I'm on a, on a ride. Um, you know, I like cycling, but deep down, I, I still feel like a runner. Well, if it gives you an opportunity to listen to the podcast, we cer- certainly support that endeavor. Yep. Once a runner, always a runner. Yeah, you got any suggestions for the podcast? What should we be doing better? What do you like? What do you not like? Um, I like the mix of the banter. Um, it's you know, it's kind of fun. It's doesn't, you guys don't take yourselves too seriously. And so in fact, coming up with the theme, that was part of the, like, how do we make this kind of ridiculous, but in a fun way, like it's, it's three dudes sitting around with headphones on and like using brass and big taiko drums. And it was just, that to me is sort of the charm is you never know when a, a rant will come out or a recurring segment, but it is also the best source of running news. Um, and I listened to a handful of other podcasts that are, that overlap a bit and they're never quite as entertaining. They're always like a little too serious and self-conscious. So I think I like the vibe. Well, that's great. 
I, th I think uh, having fun with it and, and being a little dramatic at times is, is entertaining. And I'm actually, it's scaring me, scaring me because my son's now developing a personality at three and he'll, he'll make up, he'll make believe and make up these things. And my wife's like, where do you think he gets the dramatic side from? Oops. Speaking of which, there's my wife trying to contact me. Well, I, the last point that I would want to make is I'm sure you know this, but your crown jewel here is Jonathan. Um, I, he's, he's not the reason I listen to the podcast, but he is a, a great asset. So I hope you guys pay him well. We love Stat Boy. Stat Boy is, 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 a, is a great addition to the program. Well, and, uh, the deflection right there. Snickering is not a good sign. <laughs> no, you, you're, you're welcome. I mean, uh, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. And you're welcome back anytime to try to inflate my value. I mean, we can make this a weekly segment, maybe get on guests who advocate that they should pay me more. Though I will say, credit to Weldon, he did finally get me all the tips that they were supposed to get me last year. So it was not an insignificant amount. I was very appreciative of it. And the t-shirt tips, John. And the t-shirt tips. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which Robert, Robert is now devastated to learn <laughs> that fact. I, I spent like two to three weeks of my life stuffing t-shirts. My, my son is actually going to lose all of his play dates at his exclusive preschool that he goes to because he thinks my job. He goes, Daddy goes to work with John, John Kellogg, and t-shirts, sends t-shirts to people. That's what he thinks my job is. It's like sending... The Let's Run.com t-shirt to people. Andrew, do you have a t-shirt? You're wearing a, a, a nice, uh, you know, looks like a, a black t-shirt. That could be the Kipchoge 159.40 asterisk shirt. No, not quite. I'd be happy to send you one. If, if you send it, I'd wear it. A free VIP subscription, I mean. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing about the, I, I'll call it the Hollywood scene, is that the more uh, established you are, the crappier your style of dress needs to be. So if you like walk into a meeting, like the guy wearing the suit and the nice shoes is probably the first year assistant. And then the guy that walks out in the bathrobe is the CEO. So I think having like a running shirt, that's a little informal. Um, if I get big time, if I win an Oscar or something, I can start wearing that out everywhere I go. Oh, that's great. And that's great guerrilla marketing for the site. So yeah, we'd obviously appreciate that. Well, if you get nominated for one of the Oscars like soon, I think you should. We'll get you a Let's Run dot com bathrobe. I think that's what you can wear. Okay, you're definitely in, in, right about the fashion. Weldon's and I's cousin actually is Weldon. Who does he famously outfit nonstop? Like his full time job is to Rihanna. Yeah, and he he styles her in these most amazing outfits. But he's always wearing like basically dressed like you are. Either either how you or I are dressed right now. Either wearing a, a hoodie, sweatshirt, or you know, t-shirts. And I said, well, you know, women wear these amazing clothes. What do like really famous men wear? He's like, are you crazy? He's like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what's comfortable? He's like, we wear t-shirts and sweatshirts. I was like, oh, so famous fashion guys agree with you. By the way, your job is amazing. I mean, because I, I, I don't watch a lot of TV and stuff, but when I, I realized this in the last, you watch a shitload of TV. I meant, but anyway, I'm like, if they don't put, if they, but if they don't put music, well, then he, like none of these things would be, I was just thinking about it. I was like, wow, the music guys, I hope they're getting paid a ton because the music, it would be terrible. If you had to watch like, you know, Game of Thrones without music. Oh, it's, a, it's crazy how, I mean, I, I can test with even that show. Like if you see it without the score, it just feels like a bunch of 12 year olds running around and the sound effects, like, you know, people go like, ah, 
And then they'll like furrow their brow and like stare straight at the camera and it zooms in for five seconds and it's totally silent. Um, even the sound effects are added. Those aren't, don't, don't usually happen. So the swords and the footsteps, that's not there. Either. When, they're, when, when they're filming it, it must be totally different. Like actors actually must be more talented than I think because. No, it's true. They're, You've, in, some, I've, they're in an empty room, like acting like they're in a 16th century battlefield or whatever. Yeah. I've been on film sets where they have to say like, don't worry, this is going to be great in post. And they'll want like an emotional reaction. And, you know, you've got a room of 20 people standing around, like holding boom mics and lights. And it's just supposed to be one person, you know, like in a chair looking sad. And they'll make like a sad face and just stare at the camera. And it's just endless. And everyone's being totally silent. And the camera zooms in and then like a tear comes down, but it doesn't feel emotional at the time. Then they yell cut. Everyone starts talking again. You throw a pop song under that all of a sudden it's just this like wrenching emotional moment. Whereas when you're there, it's, it feels like kids playing make-believe. So very different experience. Wow. How, when you make the scores, I mean, you don't have, is it all digital? Like you don't have a symphony or something. It's usually a mix. You do, you do a lot on a computer and then you can send it out. People these days, people can record live instruments and then just send you back uh, the instrument track. Um, so Depends on what you need. So I guess I'll end by just saying if you guys or any of the listeners decide they want a new musical segment or a motif, whether it's serious or fun, just hit me up. I, I think this stuff is, is fun and I'm listening anyway. So anytime. Appreciate it. This was great. Thank you. You, you made my week. You made my month. The start of the year. Here's to a good 2021. See you guys. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, guys, it's really cool that Andrew did that for us. I think the, the, the music is going to be amazing. It's going to really be a, a huge asset. But now we can also disclose that when you we first played it today, we were trying a new podcast software, and Robert really couldn't hear anything. So he's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, you asked me to comment. I didn't, couldn't hear what, John, what y'all were playing. So I assumed it was really cool. But now that I've heard it, I love it. So I did fake it a little bit at the, at the beginning because there was some random guy looking at me. But um, anyways, I have to have a meeting with my web programmer soon, so I don't want to take up too much time. But I was reading last week a, a feature, a nice feature on The Nation, on Bridget Coast Guy, the marathon world record holder. And for some reason, it just popped in my head. I said, wait a minute. You know, the coaches were saying they think she's going to win the Olympic gold. I was like, is she the biggest favorite for gold in all of women's tracking field, 800 through marathon? So that just leads to the natural question. Who do you guys consider to be the biggest favorite 800 through marathon on both the men's and women's side? John, you can start wherever you want. I mean, Cosguy, I think there is the probably the biggest gap between one and two in the women's marathon right now, but the women's marathon is inherently so predictable and unpredictable at the Olympics that I don't think it makes sense to say Cosguy is number one. I think the answer here is Beatrice Chepkoech, the world champion in the steeplechase. Her, she's the world record holder at 8.44. I mean, I don't think there's anyone within about 15 seconds of her time there. So that, to me, is the obvious answer. I wonder what is just bigger on a performance, on a percentage basis. Coast guy to the next woman in the marathon or Chepkoech to the next woman in the steeplechase? I see what you're saying, John, but to me with Chip Coach, I mean, I came up with about five women 
that would probably be in my top five. I mean, you've got some total studs, and, and probably not all these women will even win gold. You've got Bridget Koska. You've got Beatrice K- Chipkowicz. By the way, she ran 841 and 3,000 last week, which happens to be Emma Coburn's PR. But what worries me about Chipkowicz, John, is look at her PR. Look at her PRs. 2016, 910. 2017, 859. 2018, 844. And then she goes back up to 855. And then 2020, 9, 10. It's like a perfect mirror image of each other. You know, that's not 9, 10. She is, you know, in the last two years, she's only she ran one steeple loss. I know. Well, I don't care. Saying. So she's a little bit worried that she's sliding in the wrong direction. And then as good as Safan Hassan is, I'm worried that, okay, she's got to, if she runs the 1500, she's got to race Faith Kipiagon, who's incredible. And if she runs the 5,000 and the 10,000, she's got to run against the world record holder in the 5,000. That's a good, good day. Who's insane. So there's so much good competition. I'm afraid to pick any of those. So that's why I think I'm just worried. Although Chip Coach's 3,000 last week makes me feel better about it. I think I feel, although, and then Coast Guy, it's going to be a hot marathon, which we've never seen her do. So I don't know. I think it's got to be Chip, Chip Coach or Coast Guy. I'm just not sure which one is it for me. It's hard because the marathon, hot conditions in Sapporo, um, just marathon until Kipchoge came around, people just didn't win all, a lot of them all the time. So let's say the heavy favorite wins a marathon 50% of the time. I think maybe that's changed and she's so much faster, but these other women are getting pretty good. And oh, by the way, one more thing about Chip Coach, John. You said she only ran one steeple last year, but she did run 1500s and 5000s. She only ran 402 and, and 1455. Those times aren't that much better than what someone like Coburn could produce. And Coburn's perfect on, on the hurdling. So, Okay. I mean, yeah. I Again, she's not – like I wouldn't be shocked if she loses, but I still think she's a bigger favorite for the reasons you pointed out. Okay. One thing – think about no, this just before we go. This thought experiment I find pretty interesting. If Ajay Wilson had won gold in Doha, is there any question that Ajay Wilson would not be our number one favorite? I mean, she was essentially unbeatable, and then she gets third at Worlds. But if she was the world champ right now, I feel everyone would just say, oh, it has to be Ajay Wilson. Correct. And now no one's even mentioning her as a favorite. I didn't I didn't even have her on my list. But also that's because I'm concerned by these people who haven't raced. She didn't race all of last year. She hasn't raced this year. What is she doing, John? Her training partner did run, the uh, former Texas A&M girl. Uh... Sammy Watson. Yeah. Sammy so... Watson. Yeah, but John, yeah, she didn't win the world, so she's not the favorite. And she hasn't raced in, what, I can't do the math anymore, a year and a half? Like, so uh, you definitely can't put her. I would usually say Sifan Hassan, but the competition is tough there. She'll she'll get two cracks at it, probably two events. But then also, like, her coaching situation, right? It's just completely different. She's got the guy, oh, my God, I will remember his name one day. It's... They look at the Robert, team. do you know Stefan Hassan's coach? Do you know his name? Tim Roberry? There we go. Yeah, I said I think it's Tim. I got it. Yes. So I said Tim. That's good. Uh, Tim Roberry. No, no, you get you get partial credit. You knew his first name. I liked him. I he I talked to him at the armory one time a couple years ago, but I it's like how I used to view these guys who would like hold gags a stopwatch. And this guy was used to, you know, he was just some let's run guy like volunteering for alberto five years ago and this shows how you get your start in the sport you make yourself available but it's a new coaching situation so i i don't know there's a few question marks in everyone on the men wait 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 but 
Hassan, we don't even know what event she's going to run to. Alphonse Jock had this quote last week. Right now I'm thinking of a 5,000, 10,000 meters, but the 1,500 remains my favorite. But I don't see myself running that distance at the moment. I have to do a few races to know where I'm at. So I didn't know what that meant. Does she, she means at the moment, does she mean like currently in indoors or does she mean for the whole 2021 season? So it'll be interesting to see where she ends up there. But yes, when we turn to the men, I think going event by event is, is fascinating. I mean, the 800, you clearly say, oh, Brazier's the favorite. He might be my number one favorite. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Nigel Amos and has run 141 like twice in his life, eight years apart, I think. I mean, this guy's a stud. And Emmanuel Courier also has a better PR than him. So Brazier's, yes, he's young and he's prime, but Amos isn't that old. I mean, I think he's technically only, what, 26, John? Ran 141 in 2002, 12, and 2019, and he's run 143 every year since 2017. But admittedly, he hasn't done much, didn't go to Worlds in 2019, only 26. I mean, he's, he's look, after he got the silver in 2012, obviously running 141 in the Olympic finals, really impressive. But after that, he is a very, very poor championship record. So I don't know if I count. I mean, I would trust Brazier in an Olympics more than him for sure. Yep. 1500, Timothy Chariot. I think he's, um, I, I would, I don't know. I mean, I guess Ingebrigtsen's pretty good. I think I, I, I think I have him as a, is a bigger he, on his best day. I know he's better than everybody else on Brazier's best day. I don't know that he's better than Amos. I think he is, but I'm not convinced of that. So that's why I think Chariot would be a bigger bet for gold. Um, steeplechase. I mean, the gold medal favorite might be in prison. So I, I can't pick. Um, help me out, John. Kitsesla Skiprudo. Thank you. 5K and 10K. I have no idea what the favorite is. What about the world record holder, Joshua Cheptegei? I think he's pretty clearly the favorite in my mind. Oh, really? Even though Jacob Kaplimo just spanked him in a half marathon and has got a seven, got a sick 3,000 PR. What's Kaplimo's 3,000 PR? 726. I mean, you don't think Joshua Chep, you don't think a 1235 guy could run 726? Because I do. John, what is a 1235 5,000 equal to for 3,000? We're going to the human computer here. This is tough because I was kind of thinking maybe Kipruto, but as Robert said, he may not even be at the Olympics. Chariot's a safe pick all the time. Brazier's like pretty strong, but then you got Nigel Amos. And we're now debating here the 5K and 10K. And we haven't even, we've disrespected Kipchoge. No one's even mentioning him. He's like the Ajay Wilson. If he had won, we would have said him, but now we're not even mentioning him. Well, we haven't mentioned him yet. I'm so look, guys, the answer it's pretty easy. It's Chariot. Chariot doesn't lose. Like 2020, how many losses did he have in the 1500 a mile? Zero. 2019, how many losses did he have in the 1500 a mile? He lost once in Doha when he wasn't 100%. That was it. 2018, how many losses did he have in the 1500 a mile? He lost twice to Commonwealth Games and African Championships to his training partner, Elijah Manangoy, who is banned and will miss the Olympics. Like, this guy, he's essentially unbeatable. He ran 329 from the front, just solo. Like, I believe the only sub-330 in history without pacemakers in the World Championship Final. It's one of the most dominant 1,500 runs in world history. I just, until this guy gets beat, and look, maybe this is the year where Jacob Ingefritzum surpasses him. He's closing the gap, no doubt. But Timothy Cherio, his stretch from 2018 to 2020 is one of the most impressive we've ever seen in this event. And 
I think he has to be the favorite, and he's the biggest favorite. But the 1500, the Olympics, you know, always an interesting. It doesn't always go to form. So he would be my pick. It's Chariot. I mean, John, it's a good pick, but when's the last time Donovan Brazier lost? Got to go back two years. Wasn't it? Didn't he lose? I mean, it, yeah, he didn't race a lot. Obviously, Brazier's been pretty dominant as well. But I think there are uh, – who's who do you think is a bigger rival to – them, Correa or Amos to Brazier or Ingebrigtsen to Chariot. It might, I guess it might be Ingebrigtsen, but the problem is Ingebrigtsen just hasn't beaten Chariot and he's had so many chances. The last time Brazier lost was Doha 2019, which is this last time that Chariot lost a, uh, a 1500 as well. So that's, that's a good point. I think this is great, though. The main picture is we're talking about the Olympics. We're talking them up. Everyone talk it up. Good vibes, and they will have to happen, right? Let's just keep that out there. Robert, you got anything else on this? Uh, I don't want to announce what the 3,000 conversion is because it makes me look bad. 717? How sick is that? Wait, I mean, we, what? We, we had, uh, I, seriously? We'll double check. We may have made a rare mistake. We don't make many mistakes. We'll double-check that for next week's show. But uh, we were afraid to announce it, but I don't know. We don't really have time to double-check ourselves now. So, folks – once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, put some money in John's back pocket. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Do that. Support independent journalism. Support Jonathan Gold. And until next week, signing off.